Hello, and welcome to Health and Fitness Redefined. I'm your host, Anthony Amen. Join me today as we take a dive into the world of health and wellness, where we learn how to overcome adversity, depict that first fiction, and see health and fitness in a whole new light. Today, guys, we have a very amazing guest. I am super excited to do this episode. We are going to talk all about medicine. And not only do we just have any doctor, we have like the all-time doctor coming on here. This guy has been on a bunch of different shows, has his own podcast, came out with his own book. We're going to talk about all of that and give you some amazing health tips. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Dr. Keen View. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It is, doc, you know, you can say Dr. V because Kien Vu is sometimes hard to pronounce for people. So Dr. V or Kien Vu, whichever you like. I'm, both are awesome, man. <laughs> I am super honored to have you on this show. And I'm saying all these awesome things about you, but people really don't know your life story. So before we really get into anything, I want to talk before you became a doctor. So we're going to go back in time. And kind of just tell us, like, I know you went through a lot. So just talk about like those two significant moments in your life and how they helped impact you to become a medical professional. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I was born in post-war Vietnam, actually. So, uh, you know, if no, nobody remember the Vietnam War ended in 1975. I was born in 1978. And that's when the communist regime really kind of took over. They took over all the businesses. My parents were Chinese immigrants to Vietnam. They were both pharmacists. And when my mom was pregnant with me, they were, you know, they had seized all the businesses, um, taken over all the currency. My, so my parents didn't think there would be a future for me there. So they had tried to escape in the middle of the night on, on a boat when my mom was pregnant with me and they got caught. They got caught and my dad was thrown into re-education prison while my mom was pregnant with me. And she was actually forced to entertain the communist troops because she, she was a singer. And I was actually born without my dad you know, by my side. And um, shortly after I was born, they tried again. Uh, and they were successful. We had boarded a refugee boat filled with 2,000 other refugees. Uh, we were crammed like sardines. Uh, and I was the only infant that survived. In fact, I actually had dysentery and I nearly died. We spent eight months on that boat, um, docked outside the, a Philippine refugee camp. We spent another three months in a Philippine refugee camp. And then uh, as an early Christmas present, November 1979, we were sponsored over uh, by a Catholic church to Los Angeles. And one would think, hey, as a child growing up, Landing in the you know in in the land of American dreams, the city of angels, uh, you know this this child would be very grateful growing up, and that wasn't the case. You know, I mean, I was I was bullied when, when I was a kid, and was, there was a lot of you know I was actually I, I grew up in Chinatown, LA. It was a poor immigrant neighborhood, and my um, you know, and I I got tested as highly gifted, so I got bused to a more affluent area of school. And being a poor Asian immigrant kid in a rich kid school was definitely no walk in the park. Times I couldn't even was, imagine. Right? <laughs> Chink, get out of here! You know what's up with the holes in, in your clothes? What's that stinky food your mom's cooking? Get out of here! You know, go back to your home country. So I got all of that as as a child, and um, and really that. You know, there's a lot of AAPI hate going on right now, so it re reiterates, you know, you know how I was feeling at the time, and um, 
I always thought because of that, I always felt less than that. I needed to do something more that, you know, I needed to, you know, create something out beyond myself to feel accepted, to feel worthy, to feel like I was enough. And that energy led into, you know, my, my professional career. You know, I actually wanted to be like an actor or use my voice to do some media when I was a child. And I didn't see any Asian people um, in entertainment, in fact, and I didn't know any martial arts. And that's the only people I saw doing entertainment back then. And even as I wanted to pursue that, you know, going on into college, my mom said, son, you really have three choices. You can be a doctor, an MD, or a physician. <laughs> so, so I, I just want to say no DO in there whatsoever. I know. I mean, we, we, didn't, really, we didn't really know what that was. And so they, they didn't throw that out there. But, uh, you know, mad respect for a lot of DOs. A lot of, good, a lot of my friends, good friends are DOs. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I started uh, medical school and then I, I decided to do radiology, you know, because at the time, you know, because I still had those feelings of not being worthy enough, not good enough, I of course wanted to do something very challenging to prove myself. And at the time there were really a few specialties that were super competitive. And uh, anyone who's in medicine knows what they called the road to success, R-O-A-D, which is radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesia, and dermatology. And so I, I chose radiology. And uh, when I did radiology, I couldn't see myself just sitting in front of a room. And for people who don't know what radiology is, those are the doctors that look at x-rays, CT scans, MRIs to diagnose what's going on inside the body. And so I was really good at diagnosing everything, but I missed the patient care. So I did a fellowship in interventional radiology, which is actually doing minimally invasive surgeries um, you know, with the x-ray imaging. So I would work on patients with diabetes, with hypertension, with cancer, all sorts of chronic disease um, to, uh, you know, and, and, and use all these sophisticated technologies to fix their problem when really I wasn't really fixing the problem, you know? Um, and, and here is where my story inter intersects with how I became doing what I'm doing now. So, you know, once I was practicing for about five years or so, um, I, I noticed myself becoming, I was always chasing this other thing. Remember, here, here I was, this kid that always, you know, never thought of myself as anything and that I needed to succeed more and more um, to, to make myself feel worthy. And the thing is, I would succeed. I got the fancy house. I got the Porsche, you know, convertible. I got, you know, I got all those things. But deep down inside, I was still using them to cover that up. In fact, I used the white coat to cover up all that not enoughness. And when you walk around with that energy and, and, and all constantly needing that, you're not feeling good. And you're, you really set the stage. Of, if you're not feeling good about yourself, if you're feeling stressed out, well, guess what? You're not going to eat very well. You're not going to sleep very well. You're not going to move. That affects everything. And that energy will lead to poor lifestyle choices. And so five years into um, you know, uh, you know, you know, becoming attending physician, I was, you know, climbing the ranks. I was the chief of interventional radiology in my hospital. I was going around the world, you know, giving these fancy medical, um, talks, but I was overweight. I was diabetic. I was hypertensive. I was on prescription medications and I was really, you know, beginning to get early stages of the diseases I was treating. I want to I want to stop you there for a second all because right. this kind of goes back to something we talked about in a previous episode all the way back I believe it was episode 7 where we actually had a registered nurse on and most people would perceive that doctors and nurses they see all of these like diseases preventable diseases coming in but yet 
They're the ones that end up not taking care of themselves, and they're the ones that end up with high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes. I think nurses, they have the highest obesity rate at almost every profession. And I know doctors are not that far behind, where it kind of goes to show that the medical professionals we rely on to help take care of us undergo so much stress to take care of us because they're so busy and put on these like tight schedules that they themselves like can't take care of themselves. So they end up hurting themselves trying to help others. The culture of becoming a medical student and to becoming a doctor is actually a, not a healthy path at all. You know, it's super competitive to get in. So you're up late at night trying to study for all these things, super stressed out. Um, and then when you get to, you know, to medical school or whatnot, you're studying, you're cramming for tests. Then you got to, you know, get to the hospital early. You become a resident or an intern. You're spending all, all your time at the hospital. What do you got at the hospital? Oh yeah. Well, well, some pretty shitty food that you're eating, (laughs) right? No health food in the hospital. You're not given the training of what it means to, to be healthy, which is getting good sleep. You know, all the things I talk about in my book, we never, we never, we didn't learn that going through the process. And in fact, you pick up habits that actually build up more stress in yourself. And so it, it is not, you know, uh, you know, very, it's very common that a lot of my colleagues uh, are actually very not healthy. You know, I, there, there's somebody that's in my hospital that passed away last year, which is a very young oncologist. I mean, he was like, uh, you know, quite obese and you just don't, you just don't learn to take care of yourself in that way. So I, I know that, uh, you know, we the world is opening up and, and people are starting to understand that and it will probably take you know uh health advocates to to say hey you know what you are more in control of health than you really think and what doctors can do what we got trained to do was actually pre- prescribe this band-aid in for the symptom that 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 was caused by your lifestyle actions but if you can just reverse all that and say no i'm going to work on those things not only do you prevent yourself from getting disease, you become the best, baddest MF version of yourself as you can be. And that's awesome. So I'm going to ask you my first question, which kind of yeah. ties into that a little bit. Have people become, so your patients in general, kind of like use doctors and medicine as a fallback to the point where they don't care anymore. So I know, I know in my field, a lot of people just don't want to come see me. Oh, if I get too overweight and end up with this, there's medicine for it. I'll be fine. Are you seeing that more and more? I, I think I think we're starting to make the, the turn, but you know, you know, medicine is not what it used to be. I mean, the, the doctor from what you know back in the day is is you know the family friend. You, you know them very well. You develop this relationship, but we've developed the culture where people, you know. Um, give too much power to their physicians and think that, okay, if something were to happen to me, they can help. And really my message now is, well, they they can only help if you live a certain way and you turn your cells against you. But really you are in control of how your cells behave. You are in control whether your cells, you know, go into the thrive state, which is what I talk about in my book. All right. You control that. Um, and when you recognize that you are more controlled there, you can start to be like, okay, if, if I do happen to run into problems, there are specific type of doctors that might be able to help. But ultimately, it is me that decides whether I get disease or not. And that almost becomes, the disease is almost a choice. Yeah. And I, I think this is something I want to start diving into a little bit more is how can medical professionals help educate their clients? And what can you, I know you're, I'm going to be honest. 
from just hearing you now and hearing about you, you're the rarity on the doctor side. I don't know many who really tell their, they just tell people, go lose weight. But maybe it's kind of not their fault because they never learned how to properly lose weight. They don't recommend personal trainers at all. They don't recommend, they just say, go to the gym. They don't say, well, you should be weightlifting. They don't they right. just say, oh, just go walk. There's not an understanding. There's a big disconnect between both fields. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get that training uh, in medical school. You know, we, we learned how the body works and we learned basically all these symptoms and all these diseases. What we didn't learn is, okay, what were the lifestyle factors that turned on those signals for you to get disease? Um, so one, that's all that lifestyle stuff, which we didn't get training on. We also didn't get training on how do you motivate somebody to make changes in their life? Um, the doctors aren't very good motivators. I mean, if, 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 if you're a doctor and you're telling somebody to lose weight and you're 350 pounds, it, it's really hard to motivate them to do the same, right? Um, they didn't have those life type of coaching skills. And for me, when I had my personal transformation, you know, it wasn't the medicine that, that cured me. It was me finally saying, enough of this. How do I get better? And I did that with a lot of personal development, a lot of life coaching, um, and that's at the deep work. And that was the medicine for me. And I realized that many doctors just aren't equipped with that. Um, so no fault of them. They were only trained a certain way. But yeah. for us to be able to reach more people, one, you have to really be able to build rapport with somebody. One, also live the lifestyle that you preach. That's the other thing. Um, and then be able to, you know, look into somebody's life get leverage in their life. You know, I take people through what I call the hero process, which is hunger, energy, reclamation, and optimization. And the hunger part is what are you going to, what are you going to tap into themselves so that they can take the necessary changes, right? And you have to leverage. Usually it's, it's something that's outside of themselves. You got to say, look, you know, you've got children, you've got parents maybe that rely on you, or you've got a community you need to serve. What's going to get you that leverage for them to take new action to create that life for themselves. Yeah. And I think this is something where our two fields, if they ever came together, this could be perfect. This is what we do. <laughs> well, Teaching we people that leverage. Coaches, fitness people are, are all integrated. In fact, I mean, you know, if you really worked on your lifestyle bit, you don't actually need to see the doctor. I mean, I, you know, so, you know, and, and I, I want, you know, in the end that the patients end up being the doctors, the patient become their best healers and, and not the physicians. I love it, man. And I'm just going to throw an outside the box question that's always been on my mind. And I'm sure you're going to be the one doctor that goes, no, I don't do that. <laughs> but BMI versus body fat. And yeah. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but sure. all the time still going to doctors, physicians, they're still checking my BMI and still telling me. I know BMI, for those that do not know, is height over weight. Whereas body fat, you actually have to use some form of either Fat pinchers or bioelectrical impedance to get a number to figure yeah. out the percentage of fat because you could be skinny and still be obese. So there's a, I want you to talk about that and figure out how we can help get that into medicine because a lot of people don't. They just go by BMI. And when I go, my doctors tell me I'm overweight and I look yeah. like I'm not. <laughs> so the average, the average person who does not work out, um, you know, it's a rough estimate as to, you know, and correlate to whether or not people get disease, whether people get diabetes, diabetes, they're correlated. However, uh, it's just taking your height and weight into account, knowing that muscle weighs a lot more than fat. So if you're a very fit person, 
you might have a very you know large BMI, but metabolically you're going to be very good because lean muscle is the most metabolically active organ in your body. So you want a lot of lean muscle. So I mean, you know, I would be considered overweight, you know, um, by by BMI standards, but that's not the case. My body fat percentage is actually quite low. Um, so that's the difference there. But it, it is a rough gauge. So if you're looking at somebody and they're not fit, and you know. Then you then you could probably say okay yeah that that BMI is probably going to be related and, and you could take that into consideration so it's a very very rough tool uh, to use um, but um, it, it, it does correlate for for the average person who doesn't work out who doesn't take care of their health it does correlate to, to health outcomes but if you are healthy and you've got lean muscle don't worry about it if your BMI is too tough you know, or high. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit because it gets a lot of confusion. And same with the opposite. You can, if you're somebody who doesn't work out, who's super skinny, and all your friends are jealous of you no matter what you eat, your BMI actually, I mean, not your BMI, your body fat still might be high. And it's still worth getting checked out by a medical professional because you could be building something called visceral fat. And you want to talk about what that is for a second? Yeah, so visceral fat, a lot of people would say, oh, okay, you've got some skinny fat. So you look at somebody, they, they look, you know, they, they, they don't look, heavy and they're not necessarily big but they do have some 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 bigness right around their belly right and so visceral fat is actually not fat underneath your skin but fat around your your organs or your abdominal organs and that fat is actually quite inflammatory so if you're not working out you know if you're not living that healthy lifestyle you're thin but you kind of have a little bit of a pooch that's that visceral fat. And that fat, again, is inflammatory that will put you at risk of getting diabetes and other chronic diseases. Thank you. And now I want to talk about your field, man. So anti-aging, that's you. That's what everyone calls you. You're the anti-aging wizard. That's all the rumors all around. <laughs> they call me the anti-aging wizard, but that's funny. <laughs> so tell us, what are the secrets for anti-aging and how does this relate back to what you called actually your drive state? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, when I was able to reverse all my conditions, like five years ago, again, I was overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, uh, and it was on prescription meds. So I worked initially just on the, um, uh, you know, the physical components, getting sleep, nutrition, uh, and, and getting moving. And I noticed that all my conditions reversed quite quickly. Uh, and I noticed I was also feeling better. Um, and I was showing up better. I had more energy. So I was thinking, wow, when I cure myself from disease, when I don't get that, I really actually show up a little bit better. So that really kind of got me interested in a, excuse me, in a rapidly developing field in medicine called uh, anti-aging longevity or performance medicine. That's how you actually improve um, uh, you know, yourself to get better. And that's really looking a little bit deeper into what your physiology is actually doing. Are you missing important things that are that that our body needs uh and that's doing additional tests which might be looking at your microbiome to see if you know your, your gut's healthy because your gut has so much to do with your health it might be looking at micronutrients in your body because if you're deficient in, in certain micronutrients that actually drive your whole metabolism replacing them will also um, uh, uh, be work wonders. And certainly if your hormone levels are off, the hormone level kind of dictates how your body responds to things. So it's about optimizing those things as well. Uh, so th those are some of the things that an anti-aging or a regenerative medicine doctor would do.
I love it. And any like tips or tricks for anybody at home or something simple. So I know one thing you talked about, which I absolutely loved, by the way, was you were talking, it's more than just diet and exercise. And you were went on and talked about uh, like your happiness in life, uh, the people you hang out with, your community. Can you really expand on that a little bit more for us so people understand that health is more than just diet and exercise? Oh, sure. You know, you know, if you were to read any textbook, diet, exercise, um, you know, and, and sleep are like the, the big three. But um, I talk about in my book this, right? So what determines whether you live a long time, you've got a stellar immune system, which we all need. Um, and, you know, we're, we're performing at our best mentally, physically, sexually. How do we want that? If we want that, we, we need ourselves to, op- to perform in optimal state, what I call the thrive state. Now, when the cells are not functioning at, the, at their uh, optimal state, if they are suboptimally functioning, well, what happens is the cells all need each other. Imagine if your, your heart cell is functioning only at 80%. Well, guess what? 80% of the blood you know, that normally goes to the brain, which you know, thinks all that stuff, it's not getting there, right? Or you know, 80% is not going to the kidney. And say the kidney is not getting 80% of, of its nutrients. It starts to fail. So all these things start to fail. So when systems start to fail because your cells aren't optimal, that's when you start getting chronic disease. So a suboptimal cardiovascular system will give you atherosclerosis, um, a heart attack and stroke, a suboptimal nervous system will give you dementia, such as Alzheimer's, memory loss, suboptimal immune system will give you autoimmune disease and cancer. So that's the difference between, you know, uh, an optimal state, which I call the thrive state or a suboptimal state or the stress and survive state. Well, how then does, you know, a cell know to, to go to the thrive state or the stress state? Well, it's all the energies that the cells are constantly, our cells and our DNA are not fixed. They are listening moment by moment by moment to all the different energies that actually enters the sphere, right? Light is an energy. It comes through our eyes. There's an electrical um, impulse that then goes down to our brain and it sends signals and changes up hormones in our body. So every little tiny energy, you know, that we're exposed to is talking to our DNA. Everything from infections to to um, the toxins that are in our our environment. So everything counts. But when I did my research and when I was doing research on this book, there are actually seven main things that count the most towards whether your cells are in the thrive state or in the stress state. And the good news is that these seven things are things that you and I can control. Well, now we gotta go through them. (laughs) We must. First is those physical things that you and I just have talked about is sleep, movement, and nutrition. Then there's stress and emotional control Um, because our emotions, you know, anger, fear, anxiety, all that emotion drives negative energy into ourselves thinking that, hey, there's a saber-toothed tiger behind us and it puts us in an an inflammatory state. So we got to know that. We also need to know our thoughts and our mindset, all right, because we think a negative thought, we're going to feel that negative emotion, which will, again, tell ourselves we're in a danger state. I want, then, I want to talk about that once well, real quick. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah, you got it. this is something I, that literally blew my mind was, I'm sure you read about this, but there was a study that I did a while back ago that showed that our neurons vibrate at different frequencies based upon whether we're depressed or happy to like 
pure emotion, nothing else, everything else, like all the same. Ha- sad, it was a lot slower. Happy, a lot quicker. And uh, just showing the power of emotion and how it plays on our overall health. Just wanted yeah. to throw that in there real quick. That's a great point. See, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energy are all tied together. So you'll notice that you know if you're eating like crap and you're not sleeping very well, your thoughts are going to be like, "Oh shit!" You know, the world sucks. You know, f that person for for running me over. Whereas you you change that physical, your thoughts will start to change and your feelings start to change. Or if you notice that your if you elevate your emotions, suddenly physically, oh hey, I suddenly got more energy. So all those energies are tied together. And the last two things on that seven list was relationships and community. That's an energy. And then finally, purpose. Purpose, Love that. strong energy um, that that our cells respond to. In fact, you know, uh, people in your podcast may or may not know there's these things in our DNA called telomeres, and they actually protect our DNA from degrading. And stress actually shortens them, which which actually you know makes your cells live less long. But the longer the telomeres are, the you know the longer your cells live, the longer you live. Well, what is one thing that preserves? Telomere is that sense of purpose, and they've pr- proven that scientifically as well. Two points on this. One, I don't remember where exactly in the world it was, but it definitely wasn't the U.S. They found that a certain population of people lived significantly longer than the average person, and it was because they don't keep track of time. I don't remember where this was. I, I got to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes, but there was this, this little town where they just don't time's not a thing and their average person is 100 104 like that's yeah. mind-blowing just to think about itself yeah if you want to read a book on, on 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 that it's called blue zones by dan boitner and he goes around and he talks about these these countries where people are you know they're centenarians living um there centenarians are people who live past 100 years and they they basically Everything I just talked about, those seven things are the seven things that you can control. And those are the seven things in those communities that are so strong and prevalent. Yeah. And then the second point, which we talked about the show before, and maybe you can help expand on it a little bit, was the purpose thing, which I, I love so much because they were able to show that as we go on and achieve goals, right, it's the act of knowing that we're close that releases a lot of serotonin in our brain, which is a neurotransmitter for happiness, as opposed to actually achieving the goal, which yes. I think is mind blowing. Yeah, you always have, you know, the journey is the destination. So here's the thing I know some people will all say, hey, I'll be happy when I get X, or I'll, ha- I'll be happy when I reach X or Y. And you actually get a small hit of dopamine when that happens, but it's a very tiny hit. And so if you're, if you're, if you're, not enjoying yourself to get to that goal and only get a very tiny hit. Well, you lost my friend. And so the, the goal really is progress and to value progress. You've got to look at yourself as I'm going to value progress. And you know how I start off a lot of my mornings and, and, and rituals I do throughout my day is I got to celebrate because I need to turn on that emotional energy, right? Because I know these positive energies of joy, of excitement, of gratitude are actually anti-aging medicines very opposite to what fear, anxiety, hate, and resentment do. Joy, connection, gratitude is anti-aging medicine. So, um, you know, loving life during the process, like you were saying, knowing that it's the process um, and, and improving and evolving 
And if you make that the thing that brings you the dopamine and serotonin, then you're living, you're, you're living this glorious life because then you don't have to wait for X to feel what you already know because we have access to joy, love, gratitude, connection, all those things at every moment. And if we could foster that, that feeling day to day, then we're really telling ourselves, hey, you're here to thrive and we're not in a stress and survive state. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to start wrapping this up. I'm going to ask you the, one of the last questions I ask everybody is, but I want you to be more specific than most people. So I'm going to specific it around your book is what's that last bit of inspirational advice that, that's the take home message. And I want you to kind of talk about how the book delivers that take home message that you can leave our listeners. Oh, it's very simple. The book has one main message, which is you are your best medicine. It is not, not a doctor. It is you that controls the fate of your cells. And throughout my book, I list those seven things that can that you can tap. You, can, you, know, you know, the book is not a how-to. It's just a, a little blueprint. But it demonstrates to you how you can take your life, examine your life into these seven areas. And if you master these seven areas, your, 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 your chances of getting disease is very low. And it's not just not getting disease. You just become who you're meant to become in this world, which is, you know, my belief that everybody is a gift. So I hope that you find that gift and you know that you are your best medicine. I absolutely love it. And last but not least question, how can people get a hold of you? Where can they find their book? Go for it. All of you, man. Thank you. Uh, you could actually get, if you don't want to even buy the book, want, just want to check it out. You can get three free chapters sent straight to your inbox if you go to thrivestatebook.com. But hey, if you want to actually get one of these number one the number one hot Amazon release on longevity, pick it up right now. You could also pick up that book at thrivestatebook.com. You can find me on my website, which is K-I-E-N-V-U-U-K-I-E-N-V-U.com. And I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Kien Vu MD. Thank you so much, Dr. Kien Vu. And thank you guys for joining us on this week's episode of Health and Fitness Redefined. Don't forget... Hit that subscribe button and join us next week as we dive deeper into this ever-changing field. And remember, fitness is a journey, not a destination. Until next time. For us, we know what it's like to feel unhealthy, depressed, and downright defeated. We want to show others there is a right way. And through fitness, you could do anything you set your mind to. Fitness can give you that motivation confidence, energy you need to bridge that mental gap and prevent you from missing important life events. We understand it's about feeling better, living longer, and being good examples for our kids. We understand this because we live it. And for us, that's the redefined difference. <laughs>